Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. John chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 15 through 17. The title of today's sermon is Do Not Love the World. And once we start reading this passage, it will be very easy to see where that title come from, or came from. It's not an overly creative title. It's just pulled right from our passage. So uh, we're going to get to this in just a second. Um, I, I want to kind of refresh our memory from where we were last time. It's been um, about two weeks since we've been here, uh, but last time we were in First John, we were in chapter 2 in, in verses 12 through 14. We were looking at John's different categories of spiritual maturity. We were looking at John's uh, description of children, and then young men, and then fathers, and that, that time in that passage was just kind of spent examining ourselves to see where we where we fall in those different categories of spiritual maturity. One of the big takeaways from that is it's okay if you're still in the children's category as long as you are progressing, as long as we are growing, as long as day by day, month to month, we can look back and we can look and see what God has done in our lives and our in not just by way of blessing that's often what we focus on the most is, well, the Lord has blessed me with this home and these cars and this job. And by all means, those are blessings. But the point here for spiritual maturity is that we're, being, we're able to consider the work God is doing in our heart as the biggest blessing. Wow, I used to be such a hateful person. And now I'm not so much anymore. I used to be a complainer. I was like the Israelites in the wilderness, constantly murmuring and complaining. Now, not so much anymore, because the Holy Spirit is at work within me. It's the greatest blessing that we can be given, is to change and grow into the image of Christ. And so, I, I visit that again, because it's with that in mind, with that foundation that he has laid, that he now moves on to exhort us, in verses 15 through 17. So if you would stand one last time as we read the word of God. As you see there on the screen, it's First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. This is the word of the living God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Father, we come before your presence this morning, and we are so thankful, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and gather together and open your word and hear from you. We thank you, Lord, that anytime we need a word from God, we can open your Bible. We don't have to wait for some person who is supposedly anointed to speak words. We can just open your holy written scriptures and see what you're telling us. So, Father, I pray that today that we would be able to see and to hear and to receive what it is that you're saying to all of us through your word, God. I pray that everything I speak today be rooted and grounded in truth in love, and that I not be here to share my own opinions, but just to serve as a mouthpiece for you to communicate your word to your people. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Do not love the world or the things in the world. As you see in your bulletin, we're going to spend a little bit of time addressing this exhortation of not loving the world. And then we're going to look at the two supporting arguments that John makes in this passage for why he's saying not to love the world. I remember when I was a child, and you parents can probably testify to this still. Why can't I do this? Don't do this. Well, why can't I do it? Because. Because what? Because I said so. And as a child, that is not a sufficient answer. I want to know why. But why? But why? But why? But why? And the beautiful thing about that is that here John gives us a command, gives us an exhortation, and then gives us the why. He doesn't just say because, although that would be a sufficient answer, because it is God's word, right? But he doesn't just say because, he gives us two supporting arguments. So that's going to be how we spend the majority of our time today. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now this is written in the imperative. An imperative, for those of you who don't remember, an imperative is a command. There are all kinds of different action words that people can use, that the writers of the Bible use, and sometimes they are just descriptive. They're explaining or expressing something that has happened. And then at other times, they write an action word, and it is in the imperative, which means it is a command. You are being told to do something. Now there's another way that they do this, which is it's written in the negative. How will you be able to spot this? He says here, do not love the world. This is a negative command. What does that mean? Whenever you have a child who's on his way to do something reckless or dangerous, what do you say? Parents? No. Stop. Don't. Don't. Right? Do not go do that thing that you are currently on your way to do. Do not run out into the street. Do not put the fork in the electrical outlet. Do not touch the hot stove. Do not put the dog in the toilet. Do not do this, that, and the other, right? 
These are commands that we give whenever someone is in the process or in the act of currently doing something. This is an imperative that's written in the negative. Now, why do I bring that up? Because John's command is not to love the world. This command is given to us to show us that this is our nature. This is our, our bent. This is our, our, our normal way of acting is that we do love the world. We do love the things in the world. That we do pursue things of the world more than the things of God. So John, as a father in the faith, is writing. Remember, verse 12, he said, my little children. And this section could open up the same way because he's still continuing this thought. He could very easily say, my little children, don't do what you're doing. Don't pursue the things of the world. Because this is our human nature, is that we do love the world. We do love the things in the world. We do spend more time in pursuit of things that are of this world. But what is the world? What does this mean? If you've been in church any, pretty much any amount of time, you've heard this spoken of. We, we talk about the world, though the world is is lost. The world is this. The world is that. Don't be worldly. What does this mean, though? You ready for a Greek lesson? I know. I knew. I knew when I saw all of you. You were just. I hope he uses some Greek today. I knew it. Just got one for you. It's the Greek word cosmos. K o s m o s. Cosmos or cosmos. You've heard that word before. It is a word that we use in English, the cosmos, to refer to the universe. And this is where we're getting it from, is from this Greek word. And it's the word that we translate in English as world. It's used a bunch of different ways, but we're going to focus on four different ways that it's used. And it's interesting to note that it is primarily used by John. This word cosmos can be found 183 times in the New Testament. Over a hundred, I think it was a hundred and five of those times, John is using it. So this is a very important concept in John's mind. And so we would do well to pay attention to that, noticing that he uses this a, a lot. This is a concept that he's focusing on a lot. So what does he mean? And what do we need to take away from it? Because in order... We need to understand that to be able to understand the rest of this text here because this is his focus, is not loving the world. There are four primary ways that John uses this word. Number one is very easy. It's the, the sum of all of creation. So the, the planets, the universe, the stars, the galaxies, all of the solar systems, everything that was created is the, the first meaning. Everything that is created. So sometimes you'll read the word world and it will be referring to everything that was created. An example is Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. The God who made the world and everything in it. Well, how many of you know this morning that 
God didn't just create planet Earth. He created everything. He created Pluto. Poor Pluto's not a planet anymore, I don't think. I still think about that from time to time. Poor Pluto's not a planet anymore, but he created Pluto. He created the universe, the Milky Way, the stars, all that is in existence God created. This is the first meaning of the term world. Are you following with me? We're going to have to do a little bit of thinking this morning. The second way that it's, it is used is a little bit more specific. It is used as a location. So this world, our planet Earth, this world is the second way that he's using this, this term world. Our Earth, our planet, the oceans, the land, the, the, the third rock from the sun, the actual planet Earth. And here's an example later on in 1 John. We'll get to this in chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent Jesus into the world. That's the planet. Jesus came to planet Earth. And the, the third way is a personal reference to mankind. So another way that we use this when we're speaking of people who are in the world is we're talking about the people. The people of the world. It, wasn't that an old song from the 90s? People of the world. Don't worry about it. First John chapter 2, verse 2. We saw this earlier in chapter 2 that he said he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. How many of you know that Jesus did not die for cats? I know some of you might love cats. Some of you might love whales. But Jesus didn't shed his blood for animals or for dirt or for caterpillars, right? That's the world. That's definition two is the earth. Definition three is the people of the world. Everybody, both Christians and non-Christians. Tracking with me? You're still here? Last way. Quite often, it is referring to the fallen, sinful system of this world. It is not Christian. It is contrary to what God commands and what God's demands are. It is contrary to God's written rule. Contrary to God's nature. It is a system that we all are a part of apart from Christ. Here's an example. John 17, 25. Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Even though the world does not know you, that is the fallen system of the world. It is non-Christian. As a matter of fact, it is anti-Christian because it is against God's laws and command. We see this, all of these uh, definitions used in John chapter 1. He says, the true light, which, was, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Is anybody confused? 
It's a lot of times to use the word world, and it means something different each time. But it's okay. I just wanted you to be familiar with that because we're going to just focus on one of those definitions. This world, this fallen system of the world that John is exhorting us not to love, that's the definition, is this fallen system. Because if you think about it, in John chapter 3, verse 16, everybody knows John 3, 16. It says, God so loved the what? The world. Okay, well, hold on a second. John is writing in one book that God so loved the world, and now he's writing us here, do not love the world. Well, either John is crazy, or he's using it different ways. Do you understand? So, the way we're looking at it here is the fallen system of the world. John is telling us not to love this fallen system in this world. Do not pursue it with passion. Do not delight in it. Do not take pleasure in it. So here are John's supporting arguments. First of all, here in, at the end of verse 15, he says, you can't love the world and love the Father. Let's read it together. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Notice again John's black and white writing style. He's not saying if anyone loves the world, he probably can't really love God as much. He doesn't say if anyone loves the world, he will lose a little bit of love for God. He doesn't say, you can love the world on Monday through Saturday, and then on Sundays, love God. He doesn't say any of those things. He says it very emphatically, black and white. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We live in a culture today where we just do not find comfort with black and white statements. We, we, we are so against absolute truth. That, that there is one truth and that we all have to submit to it. We live in a postmodern type of culture where you can have a truth, you can have a truth, and you can have a truth. I performed a wedding yesterday. Imagine if I had sat there and said, husband, would you what truth would you like to bring to this wedding, to this marriage? Okay, wife, which truth would you like to bring to this marriage? And you two just have to figure it out. He believes that he can sleep around. She believes that she should have control of every dollar. You guys just go figure it out on your own. That won't work, will it? No, we have absolute truth. That this is what truth is. And this is how John writes. Is that this is what is true. That if you love the world, you can't love the Father also. It's not possible. James 4, 4. He writes, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
notice that language, makes himself an enemy of God. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is showing us from the words of Jesus, red letters from the Gospels. It's not possible. Not that it's difficult. Not that you'll have a hard time. Not that it would be a lot better if you would not do these things. It can not happen. You cannot serve God in money. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Now why is he saying this? Why? How can he possibly even back this up? You ask such good questions, I tell you. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. For, that word can also mean because, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Let's look at the desires of the flesh. There are all of these categories that work against the Christian. I grew up in a church that was a lot more Pentecostal, and everything was Satan's fault. Everything was the devil. Everything is Satan's fault. You got a flat tire. Not today, Satan. You spilled your coffee. Not today, Satan. You coughed. Not today, Satan. Satan, Satan, Satan. Satan's doing everything. You tripped. When you were trying to put your socks on, not today, Satan. The dog made a mess, not today, Satan. Everything is Satan. But what Scripture shows us is that there are three forces at work. There is absolutely an enemy who does roam the world like a, pro, a, 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 a prowling lion looking to see who he can devour, absolutely. But you also have the world, the fallen system of humanity, and worse yet... You have your flesh, your own self, your own personal fallen nature. How lovely is that? You get to take it home, this fallen nature. You get to live with this sinful nature. So all of these three forces are at, are at work constantly getting you to disobey, rebel against, and to go away from what God is commanding of you. Your own flesh, your own self, your own heart, your own thoughts, your own mind, and the fallen system, and Satan. James 1.14 Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 with me. So that you don't think that I'm making these things up. You should never just take a pastor's word for it. Ask for the scripture to back it up. So thank you for asking. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 16 through 21. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. But I say, walk by the Spirit. 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is hard language, isn't it? Those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? First John is telling us, because if a person loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How many of you know that you cannot be a Christian if the love of the Father is not within you? If the Spirit of God is not within you, working in you, changing you, shaping you, molding you. My friend, you can be a lot of things. You can be a very moral person, but you're not a Christian. What qualifies us as a Christian is the Spirit of God at work within us. That is what Galatians chapter 5 is saying. He says the works of the Spirit. And notice the S is a capital S. That is the Holy Spirit that he's referring to. That's not just your own personal spirit. That's not your own mind, your own heart. That is an alien spirit that has come from heaven, that is deposited within everybody who is a Christian. These are the desires of the flesh. In other words, these are the desires that you and I have innately, naturally, as part of who we are. Have you ever thought about this? Imagine, I want to be very careful with my language to not put thoughts in your mind, but imagine there was a tremendous amount of a, a, a violent fight taking place downtown. And then across the street over here, there were people, a man and a woman, engaged in an illicit embrace, or a less than favorable embrace. I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. Would you grab a chair and say, honey, come over here, sit down, let's look at what's happening. Wow, watch, they're really going at it over here. Wow, look at this, he's stabbing him to death over there, wow. Wow, look at... Look at how much they're doing things to each other over here. Would you text your friends and say, hey, come join me down here. You got to come see what's going on. Would you pay $20 a month to do that? Well, you would if it was on TV, right? Because isn't that what we watch? Isn't that what is filling our films our movies, our shows. You think about what is on TV, what is in a movie. You wouldn't watch it if it was happening in person. But for some reason, 
whenever we record it and put it on TV and ask people to pay for it, we're like, oh, okay, well, it's not a big deal anymore. But what is Paul writing to us? These are the works of the flesh. These are desires that are of this fallen system. My friends, I'm guilty along with you, okay? I'm not here to condemn you for having a Netflix subscription. We're, we're all equally guilty here. But we need to understand the point is that what the Bible prescribes and writes out for us as Christianity is a far cry from what we see in America. Why? It is so hard for us to really truly be a biblical Christian because we're so comfortable. We're so comfortable here in America. Think about there are people today who do not have clean water. And I have it in a plastic bottle. Do you understand that by the world's standards, all of us in here are rich? Do you have a vehicle? Do you have clothing? Do you have food? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have money? My friend, you are one of the most well-off Christians in church history. They were suffering, they were giving their lives, they were burning at the stake. Nero would cover Christians in oil and stick them up on perches and burn them. That's where we get the term Roman candles. That's what would light up the sky, the night, is Christians burning. We're so comfortable, and we're so well off here in America today. And it makes it very hard for us to really wrap our mind around a text like this, not to love the world, because everything from the moment you're born, everything that you are trained and taught is from a worldly system. You can be all that you can be. You can do anything you put your mind to. If you, if you dream it, you can be it. How often do we, we, we fill each other and, and we learn and we're just indoctrinated with all of these false ideologies that do not come from Scripture? And so we come to the Scripture and it tells us that the desires of the flesh are part of a world that is perishing and we don't know what to do with it because so many of our desires, our everyday desires, are of flesh. Has anyone ever gotten into an argument with their spouse or a friend or a co-worker? My friend, you were in the flesh. Did you get angry? Did you get frustrated? Have you ever kicked the cat, punched a hole in the wall, slammed a door? My friend, those are all works of the flesh. That is your flesh rising up within you, rebelling against what God has commanded you to do. How many of you in here have read 1 Corinthians 13? Show of hands. Wow, that's surprising. Next to nobody. And it's like on a lot of walls and t-shirts and artwork. So, man, I'm just going to assume that you just didn't raise your hand and you probably read it. But if not, go read it. 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Have you ever read through that list? If you can read through that list and say, I'm that, I do that, I do that, I do that, you're either Jesus Christ or you're lying. Because that list of love, of what love is, is so far above and beyond anything that you and I have ever feigned as love. But this is what Christ demands of us. What's in the way? It's the desires of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 shows us that the desires of the flesh are always working against the desires of the spirit. It always is happening when you're asleep. Have you ever had a dream that you woke up from and you said, whoa, where did that come from? It's happening when you're asleep. It's happening when you're awake. It's at every moment of every single day, your flesh is working against the spirit. Satan devotes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to deceiving you. And if we are not intentional about putting to death the desires of the flesh, we will be taken away by them. Greater men and women than you and I have fallen prey to the desires of the flesh. Have you ever heard of a pastor who got caught in an affair? Have you ever heard of a pastor who got caught in an embezzlement scheme or was stealing money or was doing this and that? It's the desires of the flesh. Great men, great women have fallen prey to the desires of the flesh. Paul's prescription here in Galatians for us is that it's not enough to just say no. Just say no. Just say no. Well, that would be great if it were that easy. But that's not even what Paul says, is it? Paul writes in Galatians 5 to walk according to the Spirit. So the answer is that you is not that you just need to get really good at saying no. The answer is that you need to get really good at saying yes to the Spirit, not to your flesh. That we get really good at saying, yes, Lord, I will obey. Yes, Lord, I will put to death the deeds of the body. Yes, Lord, I will walk according to the Spirit. We need greater Desires. Then he moves on to speak of the desires of the eyes. Whereas the desires of the flesh are within us, there are own innate desires that come out from within us. There are also the desires of the eyes, things that you can see. In Genesis chapter 3, whenever Eve was tempted, what did she say? What does it say about her? In verse 6, it says that when she saw the fruit... She saw that it was appealing to the eyes and it was good to make one wise. That's when she took the bite. She looked at it and saw it and says, that looks really good. And she ate of it and sin entered the world. The desires of the eyes. Think about David and Bathsheba. David was supposed to be at wartime. It was the time for 
kings to be out at war? What was David doing strolling around on the rooftop of the palace? And what happens? He saw Bathsheba bathing and said, oh, I like that. I'll have that, thank you. Committed adultery, had a man murdered for his sin. Folks, that is King David. That's King David who slew Goliath, who God says that that is a man after my own heart. If he can fall away that easily, what about you and me? I've never heard God tell people that I was a man after his own heart. Have you? If you have, that's, man, let's trade places. Let me give you the microphone. This is King David who wrote the Psalms, so many of the Psalms, who is just so taken by the glory and majesty of God and even David's own desires by the, from the flesh and desires of the eye took him captive. That's a warrior. Killed a bear with his own hands. Killed a lion with his own hands. these two desires we see that what we are doing is we're desiring what we don't have the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes we're desiring that which we don't have here's a simple example that you might think is silly does anybody watch HGTV show of hands have you ever seen it and said around your own home and you begin to despise what you have because it's so beautiful. I mean, look at the look at the entryway, look at the decorations, look at the paint, look at look at this. Look, 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 look the desires of the eyes. We went to Waco a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, and there is the world capital of Magnolia, which is also Many women love this, and we pulled up, and man, you would have thought the president was here to speak, because this, the crowd of people to get inside of a store to buy things, <laughs> it was the craziest thing in the world to me. I've never seen this. People lining up, waiting in the hot sun, in the middle of a pandemic, saying, I would love to go wait in line so that I can spend my money. Yeah, we waited. I told you, I'm not better than any of you. But we need to all compare ourselves against the scriptures. We need to all be convicted by what it is that God is asking us, not asking, commanding us to do. What about social media? That is a place where the desires of the eyes take over because you just do this and this and this and this. Your eyes are just being taken captive. Well, I look at good things sometimes. 94% of my time I'm looking at marketplace or I'm looking at this or that or the other. What we can do is ask ourselves, are these desires going to draw me closer to God or 
these desires, making more, me more like Jesus, are my desires causing me to see Jesus as all beautiful, all wonderful, all majestic, or the things of this world as them. This is the greatest sin that you and I commit, is when we diminish the value of Christ in our lives and elevate the value of things of the world. The pride of life. This can be understood as the pride of the possessions of life. I'll tell you my biggest, the biggest thing that I need sanctification in is Apple products. I love Apple products. I don't even know why. They're the same all the time. I love Apple products. And if I'm not careful, believe it or not, I will spend too much time looking and admiring Apple products. I will. It's ridiculous. But you have a thing too. You have a thing that you will spend way too much time doing and desiring and thinking about that is not doing anything to draw you nearer to Jesus. This is what we need to examine in ourselves this morning. The pride of life. Look at what I have. You know, it makes you feel really good to pull up to that bigger home, walk up to that nicer car, look at the bank account, and that number is getting bigger. This is the pride of life. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives us this parable of a, of a rich man who had had an abundance of crop, and he had this giant storehouse. And he said, you know what? My new crop's not even going to fit in my storehouse. I'm going to tear this one down, and I'm going to build a new one, and I'm going to tell my soul, soul, you have done well. Eat, drink, and be merry, and enjoy your wealth. And what does God say to him? You fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. What are we to learn from this? This man stored up treasures on earth. He made much of what he had on earth. You know what? It sure kind of sounds like what we think retirement is. Go read Do Not Waste Your Life by John Piper, and you will be convicted till the cows come home. This sure sounds like the American dream. I stored up so much, I had to build a bigger one. I had to get a bigger home. I had to get a bigger car. I had to get a bigger this. I had to get a bigger all of these things. What about God, his second argument, and we'll move quickly here, is that the world is passing away. Why can the things of this world never truly satisfy you? It is because they are part of a world that is passing away. My friend, imagine that you spend your life building the American dream and you live to be 120 years old, perfect health, tons of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You give all of your money to uh, various charities. You live to be 120 years old and you die in your sleep in perfect health, in perfect health, building this kingdom here on earth and you pass over into eternity, five seconds into eternity of standing before 
God Almighty, you will realize that what you did is you spent your whole life building sandcastles. And then the tides of time came and wiped away all that you had worked for. And now you stand before God, and what do you have to show him? Sand. This is what I spent my life doing, God. Look at this big sandcastle I made. Is that what we really should be striving for? Or is there maybe another kingdom that we're to be building? John says here, but those who do the will of God will live forever. You understand it's not that we are to be not building It's not that we need to take a vow of poverty and sell all that we have and quit our job and go move to Rangoon. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is where are your desires? Where are your desires rooted? Do not love the world. Why? Because the desires of this world are all passing away, and if you're not careful, they will lead you down to destruction. Don't love the world because God is preparing for us another world. Do not love the things of this world because for Christians, you were meant for another world. Your time here is to be spent as a an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We do not need more culturally relevant Christians. We need Christians who have the aroma of heaven upon them and who have eternity in their eyes and who have Jesus Christ as their prime possession. That is what this world needs to see. Not more people who go to church who live just like I do. Church this morning, examine your heart. This world is passing away with all of the things in this world. This is why in 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul writes, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You want to be happy? You want to have joy? You want to be satisfied? Do chapter, verse 17, do the will of God. He says you will abide forever. And we learn from the Psalms that at the right hand of God, Pleasures forevermore. Christ died that you would be a part of this kingdom that will last forever and it will have no end. And until you enter into that kingdom, that you and I would be doing all that we can to tell people of this kingdom and to bring people into this kingdom. Not to chase the American dream, but to chase, to pursue Christ 
to build his kingdom and to proclaim his gospel. That is the Christian life. Everything else is just pretend. Let's stand. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I know that this is always easier said than done. But by the power of the Spirit, we can do these things. If you're in here this morning, and you've never experienced the grace of Christ, I want to tell you, that Jesus Christ came into this world, this planet, to save sinners. He came to save people from the world system and make them right in his sight. He bore your sins on the cross. He absorbed God's wrath on your behalf so that when you repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, your slate is wiped clean. And you will now be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. His call to you today and to all men at all times is to repent and believe in the God.